Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Today's adventure takes us to Tempe, Arizona. I'm going to speak with a, a marketing professional with 24 plus years of sports, performing arts, live entertainment industry success from the Globetrotters to Cirque du Soleil. She's seen it all. She's a founding member of the City of Tempe's Black Employee Alliance and our most recent EAMC Impact Award winner for her service to the community. Please welcome Kelly Lovell Taylor. She's the Marketing and Public Relations Officer at the Tepe Center for the Arts. Kelly, how you doing? Good, Dave. How are you? Good. It's 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 great to uh, get a chance to talk to you. Of course, we were all together uh, uh, at the event and arena marketing conference in in Minnesota not too long ago. Had a chance to see you talk on a panel, present an award. What was it uh, like for you to kind of be back and and meeting with people who were you know kind of going through so many of the same challenges these last couple of years? Dave, it was refreshing. It was yeah. an uh, moment. It was a mm-hmm. band free, fantastic. I am not crazy <laughs> moment. <laughs> Everybody's in the same boat. I am not alone. And, uh, but it was just so good to reconnect and see some of the people that I haven't seen in years. And so amazing to have people that I worked with years ago go, I remember working with you. It was so fun. It was just, it's just that wonderful, validating, refreshing ugh, moment. Just people who absolutely share the crazy with you. Yes, sharing the crazy. We were just talking about that before we got started here, uh, that there's a, a special uh, connection between people in this industry who all are, for some reason, we're also passionate about. We are, we really are. And it's that when you see each other, Paul, you were saying that when you can talk to your friends about this and they look at you cross-eyed like, what? <laughs> okay, yeah. don't care. And there's no, you can't really vent to anybody sub, like with any sub, substance because they really don't have a grasp of fully what it is that you're going through or understand. So when you yeah. see those others, you're like, oh my God. Yes. I think one of the unique things too about kind of live events is it tends to be only, you know, most markets, I would say there is only like one arena, one theater, you know, whatever it is. So unlike uh, just choosing a random profession, but like if I work in banking and I'm stressing about banking, I might know other people that are in banking in my city. You know, we can all kind of commiserate together. Yeah. But like chances are, if you're, unless you're in a larger market, if you work in an arena and the shit hits the fan, or even if it's just a fun little hiccup that day, chances are most of your friends are, don't work in that industry. They're in something else. So all your complaints are going to go way over their head. And so to your point, you know, whenever you're able to meet people who have experienced those same troubles or, or even the same victories and can fully appreciate it with you, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, like an enlightening experience. You're like, Oh my gosh, I'm not alone. <laughs> it's totally true. It's, it's absolutely true. And it's nice to reconnect with the people you, you can pick up the phone and go, 
because to your point, we don't have another in the area, you know, another venue. In my instance, because it is a performing arts center, there are many, but um, it's still different. Performing arts centers and, and arenas and stadiums are completely different animals, similar struggles. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Cause you, you've seen, a, you know, we, as I said, you kind of have seen it all, but tell us about your current role there with the Tempe center for the arts. So I was hired seven and a half years ago. The, the building is, is phenomenal. It's, it's this beautiful performing arts center on a body of water in the desert. Uh, we're the only ones wow. there's on a, on Tempe town lake. So it's beautiful views, fantastic setting backdrop for you know, our music and theater and so on and so forth. But um, they had been open eight years. It's a city run venue. And so they'd never had a marketing department. They had the public never information officers, department. never had a marketing department on this phenomenal architectural, it, it, you know, you drive along the freeway and you can see it and it's just architecturally stunning. Um, but no one really knows what it is because um, we are in this fun little space called the FAA and we are literally door to door, maybe five minutes to the airport. So to the north of us and to the south of us, we are in the at flight path. So you can't have oh, yeah, any yeah. moniker or lighting or signage on the building. Oh, interesting. So, so people drive along yeah. the freeway, they see it and they go, oh my God, that's so beautiful. And they don't what know what that? it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so we, the challenge was coming in is to set up and start the marketing department from scratch. So that's what I've been doing for the past seven and a half years. So sounds like no small task. No, uh, no, with no, with no help. So it's all marketing, PR, advertising, yeah, yeah, social yeah. media, email marketing, everything, everything. Setting, and, but setting it from the ground up, which is an amazing opportunity. Um, everything you do is an improvement though, right? So that's, that's the good yes. thing. That's yeah. True. You can't fall off the floors. <laughs> Truly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really what kind of events do you guys do there? So everything from theater to um, dance. We have a 3,500 square foot art gallery here. It's free always. And it has nice. three to four rotating uh, exhibitions per year. We do concerts from symphony to rock to country, everything you would do in an arena, sure, just okay. in a lot smaller and more intimate space. Um, this acoustics here are tr amazing. I will say Natalie Cole, rest her soul, before she, before she passed, had played here. She opened the venue and she said, oh my God, this is like the best space. A woman who's traveled the world yeah. and can have yeah. her pick a venue said, this, the sound in here is the most incredible I've ever experienced, which only served to amplify the show, right? Because the artist is hyped and she's into yeah. it. The crowd's into it. I mean, it was an amazing amazing opening that is so awesome uh i guess back to your interesting challenge with uh signage that's got to be something really unique does that mean there's no like digital marquees or anything because anything that's lit up are you, are you doing a lot of uh advertising by plane sky riding uh all the time <laughs> all the time very effective all the time. Yeah. and you can yeah, yeah, yeah. you can monetize that you can track it so not at all <laughs> but I'm, i know it's working so no, we don't. We have actually, we just got a marquee, um, I want to say like five years ago. Um, the challenge is it's on a, a road. Well, well, we have a freeway to the north of us and everybody can see it, which would be such an amazing opportunity to put in lights on the roof, Tempe Center for the yeah. Arts. You can't because of the FAA regulations and so nobody really knows where we are. But conversely, 
on the south side, we are on a road that is not as well traveled. So we have a marquee on the street that's not as well traveled. What do you do with it? Mm. That's better than no marquee. Indeed, yes, yes, it's better than a sharp stick in the eye. I still am going to stick by the skywriting is my go-to. Yeah, skywriting. Yeah. Yeah. But We're the beautiful really thing is that. That, is that we are a city facility. And because there are so many facilities around the city, so our rec centers, our city halls, so and so forth, they do have marquees. And we have the, you know, our community TV oh, station. Awesome. Actually, believe it or not, people do watch. Um, so we are able to at least use other people's marquees. Yeah, great. So, you know, obviously, you know, uh, been a crazy few years. What was the whole uh, pandemic run for you here as a, you know, as a city employee and, and as a performing arts center? It was frightening. I just, as everyone else, it was frightening. It was, I just, I'd gone away and I came back on the 13th of March and uh, came into the office and wasn't feeling great. And I thought, mm, mm, just a cough. I've been traveling. I called in on Monday the 16th and the world had stopped because I, I really couldn't come in. I was sick as a dog. I ended up having COVID at that time. I didn't realize that's what I had. You were a front runner. I was so fun. I like to early adopt. <laughs> so I decided that was a good idea. <laughs> Note to self, don't do that again. Try but, the new restaurants, try the new COVID. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta jump on the bandwagon early. Indeed. So, so, so uh, we came back and the city, which for the longest had no work from home policy, there's no telecommuting, yeah. had to scramble to figure out how do we as a city operate all the facilities, including Performing Arts Center uh, remotely, what are we going to do? And we shut down and just never came back. But we transitioned really well, I will say. We as a Performing Arts Center really became sort of this impetus for the city we became, you know, we're going to do virtual program. We're going to start. We're going to help people get through these next couple of weeks. <laughs> but we'll be closed right. or yeah. like weeks. forever. Yeah. yeah. For years now. <laughs> so, so we, we said, you know what, we're, we're just going to keep the show going. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure out this live streaming thing. And so we did, it took us, it took us a few weeks to transition, but we figured it out and got better and better and better. Um, and so we just did it weekly and, and just the whole idea was at the time, like everyone else, trying to keep people entertained and supported, yeah. trying to maintain some sense of normalcy through crazy. So what kind of events did you guys do over the, over that run? We just did a lot of music. Um, we also did, uh, and, you know, we made it very multicultural, actually. We made it completely welcoming because we recognized that everyone is in this boat. Right. So we made yeah. sure that whoever we brought in was pretty representative of the community so that people felt some sense of continued connection with us. They recognized people that were like we do are oh, another venue person. Oh, look, someone that looks like me, someone that I can relate to, which is you just wanted that because you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't see your people and your family and the stuff yeah. and things. So we made sure that we were pretty diverse. So we really just, we have a sculpture garden outside. So we, we figured out a way to make it safe for uh, the performers. We did it outside and we did a lot of music. We did some That's dance. Awesome. We did, um, we did some talks, Facebook, yeah. Facebook live chats, and it was really good. That's like the double-edged sword too, that I think people, we were acutely aware of in the industry is not only did 
everything shutting down hurt the industry, hurt the employees working in it. But what the arts provides to just the general public, which is so much of like a therapeutic release, it's uh, expression, it's so much, it serves such, 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 a, such an important role, like cannot be <laughs> overstated enough. And so to not only not be able to provide that to people, but to provide it in a time when people needed it more than ever, you know, mm -hmm. when they're trapped at home. And it's like, it, it was, it was a tough thing, I think, for all of us in the industry, because we realized that's off for many of us, that's why we're in this is we like, you know, making those moments for people. And so take, you know, any layoffs or furloughs or, you know, the industry business side of it, out of it, you know, to not be able to provide that for the community when they needed it the most is a, is a tough, was a tough pill because I think everyone saw, you know, how much communities were struggling and like, you know, the arts, music, all that stuff could provide that. So I, I think that's lovely that you all found a solution and were able to kind of uh, bring that back because I'm sure it was welcomed with open arms. It was, you know, Paul, you made a really good point because it wasn't just about the the community, the community as a whole includes the artists, right? And so they right. lost their revenue. And we recognize that. And while we have smaller budgets than the Schottenstein Center, but um, <laughs> it, we, we, um, we figured out a way to still be able to pay the artists. So we didn't ask them to do it for free. We decided that while we're providing a service to the community, keeping them entertained and buoyed and, and sane, we also provided that outlet to artists who had zero income instantly, no space yeah. to go, no place to play, no, no revenue, but even just the small amounts that we were able to pay them, they were grateful and still be able to connect with their audiences because they lost that connection to their audience too. Right. Totally. So I think it was a huge win all the way around for all involved. And it taught us like everyone else, how we had to reinvent ourselves. Yes. How do we yeah. do this? And it forced, I think people have this idea with government that was pretty complacent. You, know, you just plot along, you get a paycheck. Train rolling. Yep. Just keep it rolling every day. Another day, another 50 cents. But it forced us, and I love my colleagues because they're just as passionate about, about this space and, and what we do, that we figured out, you know what, we have to get better. We have to do better. What does it look like? What do we look like? Let's reimagine ourselves when we come back out of this in two weeks. Yeah. So, you know, right, because we all thought it was going to be, you know, just yeah. a, a short little run. So sure. March 2020, you're, you're down with COVID. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, you know, COVID wasn't the only uh, uh, big thing that happened, right? A lot of, lot of um, social justice concerns. Oh, but yeah. but you, you were part of a movement, and I want to make sure I get this right, Juneteenth of 2020. So when most of us are still scrambling, trying to figure out which end is up, you help establish the Tempe Black Employee Alliance. This was the, the first Black employee group established in any government organization in the entire state of Arizona. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I want to read this here. Helps connect, influence, empower, and strengthen the relationships of Black employees with each other and the city staff at large uh, with the goal of fostering inclusion. You know, some of us got there. It just took us a little bit longer. <laughs> Uh, and I'm sure it wasn't an easy and instant path for you, but but talk to us a little bit about that that uh, the inception and the, the the coming together of that group. Well, we actually been talking about it for a while. I think I mentioned it in my in in our on our panel with uh, Dr. Deb and Anne, and such a great, amazing group of women, by the way, um, and Kate. Um, 
we'd been talking about it because we didn't see many people of color in and around the city as employees. And so um, we've been talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. And finally, George Floyd happened. And as a Canadian, uh, I am pretty even keeled about most things. But for whatever reason, it just hit so hard and resonated so strong that I felt the need. I had to go and talk to the, the city manager because I'm sitting and I'm listening in public information officer meetings. And I'm listening to, as the only Black person on this call, the, the miss here. And we didn't respond. And I was frustrated. And I thought, why is the city not responding? A city that um, I'm so proud to work for and that is very supportive on paper of diversity, um, people, integrity, respect, all of the things that we say. And where is that? And so I went and I sat with the city manager. He is an incredible human. And he listened. I asked questions of why aren't we responding? Whose decision was this? Why, why are we burying our heads in the sand? What's going on? And so that sort of became the impetus. And in talking with some of the other black employees, we got together and the city manager said, you know what, put together a mission statement. I think it's time. This is absolutely the right time. Let's do it. Um, and it happened on June 19th that everything was approved to everybody, you know, the blessing of the city. And that's, and that's how we came about. And we recognized looking at the numbers that we were, there was only 4% of us out of six, there's like 74 people out of 1,608 employees and out of our firefighters, 168 plus, there were six out of 350 plus officers, there were only 15 and one Native American. And you go, what? It's insanity. Like we're, that's so, not only are you dealing with the pandemic, but you're also dealing now with what yeah. felt like insult and injury and, and it felt even heavier and harder. And like, we have to do something. We have to say something. We have to be better. And so a key point about this Black Employee Alliance is that it's open to all city employees. And more than 50% of our membership is non-Black uh, because they're allies. And they recognized in that moment, as everybody did watching that nine minutes, that this is so wrong. And we want to do something. People just didn't know what to do. And what do we do in a pandemic where we're stuck at home? We, what do we do? And so this yeah. it really just started to take hold. And we started talking with people and creating a safe space for people to talk and ask questions and, and vent and, and support one another in a safe space. And so that's where we are now. We're just continuing. We, we have this thing called talk time. And I love that we, you know, we present, we do this, this breath, because this is about to be a heavy topic we're dealing with today. Oh, no, it's, yeah. Take right. a breath, and we, and, we, and we all dive right in. And no one says, are you crazy? Seriously, you're asking that question? Wait, there is no animosity. Right. It is a, an honest, and it's just real talk. So it's, it's a great space for people. So now we have three pillars. So it's social justice. Uh, we're talking about the hiring, firing, um, recruitment. Uh, promotions, uh, retention policies mm -hmm. within HR. We also have a community engagement pillar and we have an education pillar. So we're talking about what does this mean? What does racial trauma mean? What does, what are all the stuff and things and all the words and, and, and mean, what does it mean? What does it mean to be an ally? So we're teaching, but it's also um, educating and being a support system for the black employees, uh, sort of this conduit, because as we said at the conference, a lot of times they're the lower on the rung 
They don't think they have enough money to be able to, because we're hourly. I don't have enough money to invest. I, you know, I'm, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I didn't know we had all these health benefits available to us. So part of that education mm -hmm. is not just teaching about how to be um, an ally and all the stuff, the topics of the day, but it's also about, hey, we're supporting you. Did you know the city offers education? Get your education, help yourself move up that rung. You know, it'll be, you don't have to come out of pocket. You can invest, you can't. So it's, it's part of that education and, and, and community engagement is working with partners um, and other groups within the city, with, within our community, inside Tempe and outside. Yeah, one of the big takeaways from from hearing you you speak, you know, on this topic, you know, it, it was a lot of us. Our response was checking the box. Mm -hmm. Did we respond mm -hmm. right? Did we post the right statement to our Instagram account? Did mm -hmm. we? And and that's and that's that's always been a concern of mine, right? Is is uh, I don't want to just publicly respond. I want to see what we can do to not just check the box, but to do more, to actually make things happen. And, and that's what I love about, you know, uh, you establishing the, you know, the, the Black Employee Alliance there is that it's it's not just checking the box. And I know that's very important to you too. It absolutely is. So Suzanne Kimball Richardson is a very dear friend. We, we came up through Gold Trotters together, uh, learned how to be promoters and, uh, and, Shout out Suzanne. Hi, Suzanne. Suzanne. I see. We'll make her listen to this episode. Please, I will send it to her. <laughs> but she she came to me and she said, I'm gonna, I want to nominate you for the Impact Award. Because we we we're still very, very, very dear friends. And I'm like, okay, great. What is that? Yeah. Uh, so mm -hmm. so she explained what it is, and she was explaining to me what EAMC does. And so to, to your point, Dave, um, it was important to her that you know EAMC didn't just check the box. So I, right. I'm appreciative that you guys are continuing to move this ball forward. But we can't just be complacent. We have to continue to look at ways to support one another. How do we diversify this industry? I and mean, you both said, looking around the room at EAMC, what's missing? Who's yeah. missing? Who's not in the room? Yeah. Right. So um, and and why aren't they in the room? And how do we help them to be in the how room? How do we change that? Absolutely. Yeah. Because you know what? It's not about one having more than another. It's helping everyone to get to that same level. Because when we're all there, we're all rowing in that boat together. We are going to get to that finish line a lot faster together than if we just are all over the place and sometimes doing it, sometimes not. And we have to do it together. And that means yeah. it has to be representative. I mean, just look at all the stuff that's going on right now in the world, right? It's becoming. Yeah pretty mono, monochromatic, unfortunately. It's going back, which is frustrating and <clears throat> frightening and head scratching and all of the things. So I appreciate EMC uh, for not just checking the box, but continuing to keep your foot on the pedal and moving this fall forward. It's not easy, it's not easy. And we're all slammed, right? We're all busy <clears throat> as um, I think yeah. uh, Shani Tate Ross said, every day is a Wednesday, let's not, yes, and that, that shit. Yeah shenanigans that is she's brilliant <laughs> shenanigans um but she said every day is wednesday one of your podcasts and um i'm like yeah, yeah. there is no just every day is wednesday <laughs> we don't take our yeah. we are all crazy busy but we have to take the time because it's important to continue to move this ball forward even if it's slowly and not just check that box so you said you're going to uh, can i give you an example absolutely of the crazy yeah go for it so people put out statements 
I'm not going to say which company it is, but it's a very large recognizable insurance company. And they put out a statement about you know, who they stand for, blah, blah, blah. And then nothing. But then Black History Month came up. And their idea was to serve chicken and watermelon Aye. to the employees for Black History Month. So, no. So, yeah. it, when we say not just checking the box, we have to continue to educate ourselves. We have to figure out what we don't know. We have to ask those questions. And then we have to figure out what we're going to do to make sure that we're continuing to take these steps for equity and inclusion. Yeah. And it's got to be kind of a multi-pronged thing too, because I think to like what you were mentioning is it is going to take time. And I think no one should think for a second that they can solve or make a statement and and, you know, not only check the box to say, oh, we've done this, we've, you know, we're, we're in the clear, but also, <laughs> you know, we, yeah, we fix things. You're not going to fix it with an Instagram post, you know, like that. Thank you. That's Thank you, Paul. Correct. Yes. Or a statement. And then. Nothing. Right. Or a statement. You know, you, you have to say if you're saying something, then back it up and show people that. And, and there's not also, I think probably something maybe, uh, and this is probably generalizing, but something that I think a lot of companies probably we're quick to like defend their stances, right? And say, well, we're not guilty of this. Mm -hmm. And instead really should have said, we could be doing better at this. And this is how we're going to start. But that takes admitting, you know, it takes some humility and admitting that we really are not where we should be. And here's how we're going to change that. And I think instinctually, a lot of you know PR people are like, no, 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 we're, we've we've been doing it. Here's how we're great already. Uh, you know, pay no attention over here. Uh, so, so I think it is important to understand that you know there is room to grow. And, and even like to speaking from the conference, you know, that was something. Some of the earlier conversations is like we we realize there is a lot of growth that needs to happen, and we realize it's going to take a lot of time, but we've got to keep pushing forward. And how do we do that? And how do we do it at every level? And uh, but you have to you ask know, yourself also it's... why, Paul, sorry to cut you off, but you, you yeah. have to ask yourself, no, what's yeah. the, I keep saying this, what is the why behind the what, right? Because to your point, people are like, look at all the great things. We are not bad people. We are good. And yes, <laughs> you are, but you're missing it. Um, right. So you have to understand the why behind the what, and you're right, humility is a big thing. Humanity, we all have to have that humility. I made a mistake. Oops, sorry. Okay, but I will do better, right? So that's all it is. It's, it is a growth mindset. And if we take a look at it as a growth mindset, I think more companies would absolutely grab onto that. But because they're all about growth and getting better, improvement, right? So if we change the wording and the narratives to we're growing, not embracing, well, you're saying I'm a bad person. So, and, and then we become right. defensive yeah. and then we don't want to do anything because I don't like you because you made me feel bad. No, right. it's we're growing. It's a growth mindset. And when you look at it that way, I think it makes it easier uh, to then start figuring out where is it I need to grow and put that strategy to, into place as to how you're going to do that. What yeah. is the why behind the what? Why are we doing this? Because it's the right thing to do, but we have to be, we have to include everybody that's in this, in our community. When we hear everybody's voices, 
that's when we get a better picture and we can put out even better product. We can do better. If you're only hearing one side of a story, you're going to probably not get it right because there's right. more than yeah. one side of it. Take a look at all the sides. Is that wrong? Is that bad? Why is that bad? It's very important. And, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's the, the why there. Instead of just doing it to do it because everybody else is doing it, understanding the why, Kelly, it seems like it's, it's so important. It is. Why did you post that? Because you looked around and you saw your friends do it and you're like, oh my God, I better get on this bandwagon. And so I did it. Thank God. Yeah, right. Yeah. Good. No, no, no. <laughs> no. That's not how it works, my friend. It's, it's, you just, you have to be doing it for the right reasons. Think about anything that you do, do it for the right reasons. Not just looking around and seeing that everybody else is doing it. So it's your, your bandwagoning. Similarly with companies and the response that the city had, which was a couple of weeks after George Floyd, kind of, let's take a look and see who else is doing this. Is this a safe space for us to go into and, and put our statement on? No, no, wrong answer. Be that leader. Right? Yeah. Have people looking to you. That's what we do every, in everything else in terms of innovation and science and, and education. All the things that we say Tempe is, we're innovators. Then take a stand and you be the leader. It's not always easy. And sometimes it's scary, but you know what? It's, if that's who you say you are, then do what you say you are. Do, do what you say you, stand by what you say. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So if nobody else said anything, were we not going to say anything? Right. We're not going to do anything right. We had to wait until somebody else did something to do something. Right. Where's yeah. the integrity? No, and it's true. It's true. Where's Somebody the integrity? Yeah. yeah. And it is. And it's, it's just the right thing to do. And, and, and I. You're very passionate about it. I am extremely passionate about it. I take a look at. I'm not as, as articulate. Dr. Deb from OBG is a phenomenal woman. Like, oh boy, not worthy. Oh, yeah. She's amazeballs. Um, she's so articulate about and just as passionate. Uh, about this subject. And while I don't have a doctor's degree, as I like to say, I have lived it and I recognize it and it's innate. And it's, I look at the connections that you have. Right? Yeah. Dave, yeah. Paul, we get along, we're great, but we don't look alike. Definitely, you know, some different backgrounds. And, and that's what I want to, that's what I want to ask you about next, Kelly, is I want to take you back to, you know, January, 1994. Uh, you get your internship uh, there in Toronto, right? Are you working at working at the, the Sky Dome as a uh, in public relations? Uh, how do you how do you get that first step into the the uh, entertainment industry? Oh, Dave, I've had coffee and cocktails since then, and a lot of sleep. I really it's a long time ago. So this one time when I was in college, um, I I was I have a degree in PR, and so at the at my at my college Humber College in Toronto we. Uh, part of the requirement for graduation was your last semester was an unpaid glorified internship. You had to complete their, complete that in order to, to graduate. So um, they asked you what industry did, did you want to go into to nonprofit or corporate, or they gave you a choice as to where you want to go. And I said, no, oh, I want corporate. And unfortunately all the corporate positions were taken. And so they, they were like, well, we've got Skydome. And <laughs> Uh, I was like, oh no! Yes, I was like, <laughs> um, so okay. So I went, and the first two weeks they had me doing, you know, intern stuff, <laughs> make that label, answer the phones. I'm like, mm, I'm a graduate. I don't, I don't answer phones. 
<laughs> bad mindset. I'm like you. And I remember going back to my, my, my uh, advisor going, yeah, so see, entertainment's not the thing. You need to put me someplace else. This is crazy. And I don't sleep. I work like 18 hours a day. This is crazy. Man. I can't do it. She's like, well, I guess you're not going to graduate. And I am so glad she didn't switch me. She didn't even try because that was my jam. I, I fell in love and it just went from there. And I just, I was hungry. I, I loved, I, I ended up eating up every everything. I wanted to get my hands into everything. I let me set up. Okay, great. I'll be a ticket taker. Great. I'll answer the phones. Great. <laughs> so it was, it was, it, I recognized and I caught that bug and it was downhill or uphill, I guess, <laughs> depending on your perspective from there. It's so funny that you say that, right? Because you were, you were this close to, you know, had, had that one conversation changed your entire life. It would have changed right, the trajectory. Different direction. Absolutely. Right. And I wouldn't change this crazy meant for the world. I have made the most amazing friendships, relationships uh, through EAMC and just through traveling. I, I fell in love with all of the shows from Ringling Brothers, Brown and Bailey to Harlem Globetrotters to um, WWE. We were, we were the space for the Toronto Raptors before Scotiabank yeah. even existed. Yeah. Air Canada Centre, Scotiabank, all the names. It was just, it was an exciting space in which to be, but I fell in love for whatever reason with the Harlem Globetrotters. And I, I decided, what the heck? I've always wanted to live in the US. My mother's American, let's, let's, let's try this. And they, they took me on in, in their PR department and I just went from there to marketing and senior marketing director. And then- You did almost nine years there. And I can't imagine, you know, uh, you're not really a marketer in this business until you've done a Harlem Globetrotters show. Right. right. But what a what a what a learning boot camp that had to be for you uh, of nine years and in the with the Globetrotters. It was unbelievable. It was a phenomenal ride. I will say um, I learned I, I give credit to Manny Jackson, who was the owner uh, at the time. And he I think a lot of touring shows give this opportunity, but he particularly gave us the opportunity to figure it out. It was baptism by fire versus, you know, this is your role. This is where you're stuck. He allowed us to get our hands into everything. So from sponsorship to media buying, to you know, traveling and figuring out group sales, all the things. Um, and when we had pagers and <coughs> dial up <laughs> on the road, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, it was a huge opportunity to learn from the ground up and get your fingers in all the pies. And I will say, I had the opportunity to learn from my venues. Madison Square Garden taught me a ton. Even to some of my smaller venues, Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, it just, it was an amazing experience. And I learned not only just in our own Harlem Globetrotter space, but from being all over the country, what other people are doing. And, you know, I, I'm curious about this because, you know, when, it, when looking at, you know, your history, you know, there is a, you know, not everything goes a hundred percent as planned in this in this business for sure. What? So you, Wait a minute. You, tell me about your brief <laughs> little run there, where you left the Globetrotters and you went to work for the the Desert Botanical Garden. So that was it was a it was a good idea on paper, and I thought <laughs> sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I was getting married and and I was on trains, planes, and automobiles, and um, my then husband thought it was a really good idea that maybe I should be home 
to do this marriage thing. And so I, I was like, yeah, you're right. I'll do it. And what I liked about the Desert Botanical Garden, it gave me an opportunity to be home and we wanted to start a family and so on and so forth. And they had events, right? So they did the pumpkin patch and so on and so forth. So there was something, because nonprofit is really not my jam, but there was something that I could, could sink my teeth into and grow. And, and uh, they have a very static audience. And I applaud the executive director who was incredibly supportive and, and embracing a wider inviting why aren't more people coming to the garden because they don't know about it. let's talk about this and so he was ahead of the curve so um that was an opportunity but then globetrotters came knocking and uh, manny called he's like hey really need you back here i'm like great <laughs> i need to be back there <laughs> so there's only so many cactuses you can look at <laughs> So you do almost three years then again as, and you go back as, as the, the VP sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was a, it was a different uh, view of promoting because I'm so used to doing it. It was now leading a group of people. So that was another opportunity again, that Manny and I'm grateful to him for, for that opportunity to provide leadership or learn leadership. So now I'm responsible, not just for my 30 to 40 markets, I'm responsible for all, however many, you know, 200 plus states that we were doing. And it was a huge learning curve. And again, being the only female in an all male suite was even more challenging and coming in because these gentlemen knew me as a marketing person, as their, as their yeah. junior, and now I'm their equal. So now I have to get over the familiarity of the relationship yeah, that we had before. There. Yeah. Correct. It was the re-education so, for all of us and trying to be a mom at the same time while being on the road with an eight month old. Oh. Um, all, that was a huge learning curve, but um, it, it was a fun one, I'm not gonna lie. It was a fun <laughs> one and I had her on my hip and now my child at 16 is uh, just believes that backstage is normal and that right. sitting front row <laughs> is normal <laughs> and talking to performers is normal. I'm like, um, actually, that's really not. So, not, yeah, right. And all the globe trotters, it's no big deal. I'll just she, meet the you know what? artists when they True come. True story. <laughs> we we did a summer camp. The globe trotters had a summer camp. These guys, she was two, still had her binky and uh, big easy and flight time were yeah. leading this camp here in Phoenix. So you know, baby in hand, off we go. Big easy is what six, eight, six, nine, and her is not. Yes. And the biggest, most wonderful level teddy bear. And Herb is not much far behind him. I think he's like six, five, six, six. Herb went to the shorter of the two monsters to this little person. She just wouldn't go. She was like, oh my God. The bigger of the two, she went straight to him. He picked her up. He said, come here, girl. Put him on, put her on his hip. Did summer camp that whole morning with Maya on his hip. And uh, oh, so, so now, now Maya believes that the Harlem Globetrotters, all of them are her best friends still. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Globetrotters are, are obviously known for, for getting down and dirty when it comes to marketing. What's, what's your biggest takeaway from your time with the, with the Globetrotters that, you know, that you still carry with you? Is there like a favorite campaign even or something that you remember? Oh, wow. You know, I give credit to my venues. They have just the most wonderful, wonderful ideas. And I think Kosha Irby uh, said the same thing at the, at the arena marketing conference. He was like, what is the 
thing you wanted to do, the biggest, the craziest, the just let's do it. And I think that's the key. And I learned that when you give our venue folks, let, let, let the reins go, let them figure it out. They're a creative bunch of crazies. And so yeah. I don't know that I can pick any one, uh, but what I did learn is that grassroots relationships uh, truly can turn the tide when you're, when you're struggling uh, to sell tickets. Um, I also learned that because when I first started, you know, we have the book and you follow the, this is how we do it. Yes. Uh, didn't work so well, but when you give people the tools and go have freaking at it, you know, your market, I'm living in Phoenix, Arizona, you're in Kentucky, you're in Ohio, you're in Miami, you're in LA, everyone's different. Do your thing. You know your space. You're the experts. And when you let people go and do what they do, it's amazing what they come up with. It truly yeah. is. And so I was every year we came up with something different or a twist on something that we'd already done. And we made it that much better. And I just learned not to say no. And as long as, as long as it was still PG. Yeah. Let's do the damn thing. Let's just, do it. And, and I think my venue folks appreciated that. Yes. And I, they're just an extension of our team. Yeah. I was just going to say that I, that was always one of the things I loved, you know, working on the arena side was when someone would give you like a bit of a leash, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, the shows that are sold out concerts, they're kind of like, I don't need to give you this because we're going to sell fine regardless. So it's the shows that are like, all right, we need to get a little creative what do you guys have, you know, what, what's in the box that you've been saving for, you know, some show that no one's allowed you to do. And I always, that was like, I, I love that. That was cause I usually had all those things in the box that someone's like, Nope, we can't do that. You know, whether it was my boss or CEO or someone that was kind of like, I don't think they're going to allow that. Oop, I don't think. And so I would literally just had this kind of case in my head of things that are just like, these are the things I'm not allowed to do, but I think they would be fun. So whenever we would have some show like the Globetrotters or someone else that would come along and be like, okay, so here's the key to that case in your head, open that shit up and let's see what's inside. Yes. It was super fun. And sometimes, you know, some of them don't stick, but you never know unless you try it. And other times it's like, you have these awesome, unique, one of a kind things that you never would have known otherwise but then you get to have this really fun, cool moment that you only can really experience, you know, when someone gives you a long enough leash to do that. It's true. It is true. And I would also say the other thing is gratitude. I, and, and being humble enough to know that I don't know everything. What I do know is Globetrotters, right? I know my product. Right. But when I put my head together with your crazy, I mean, the possibilities are endless, truly. And that's actually goes to DEI and inclusivity, right? I know my product. I'm bringing this. Here's my tools. What tools do you have? Let's put them together and let's blow this shit up. Let's yeah. do the damn thing. And that's what we're trying to do. And one, people appreciated it, but I was always grateful. I always made sure our box offices had pizza because it's going to be a long night. I always made sure that my box offices had or whoever, you know, we always said, thank you. There's a signed basketball or a Jersey. And it's just a little gesture. It makes a big difference. It really, really yeah. does. And even, I, I still have a sweatshirt from California state university when I did it, um, CSUSB San Bernardino, a sweatshirt from what 20 plus years ago. And it's actually 28 plus years now in the industry, but 
I still have it. It's it's Amazing. torn, tattered. It's got bleach stains, but I, it's one of my favorite things because my one of my venues gave it to me. Oh my so it goes both ways, yeah. yeah. So after about you know what twelve ish years with the with the Globetrotters total, you uh, uh, make a change over to Cirque du Soleil. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this uh, is this required for Canadian marketers to eventually spend some time with Cirque du Soleil? Or- <laughs> <laughs> yes, all <laughs> the people, happen? everyone, everyone in Canada works for Cirque du Soleil. There are no other companies. <laughs> that's the true story. And eventually. we all yeah. eventually. So yes, that's, yeah. yes, we all do. Um, it was it was a huge transition. Um, and it was it was I had started my own agency because I had left Globetrotters and I started my own agency. So I was working with various tours, you know, freelance. And uh, yeah. I was courting Cirque as as a as a client. And they're like, no, I went and sat in the office with Finn Taylor at the time. It was a VP of marketing. And they were transitioning from big tops and wanted to uh, increase their their revenue stream. So they decided, what do we do with a show that's been in a tent for so many years, but we've invested so much, how else can we, and you can only move a tent eight times a year, right? So that's only eight markets. So how do you, we've got to figure out how to create another revenue stream. So they decided instead of throwing these shows and all the investment and the costumes and stuff away, Let's put them in arenas. Let's make it a little bit more mobile. And we can bring this product now to more. So I was brought in to start their arena division. There was only two of us. Um, that was crazy, man. But I loved the creativity. It was overwhelming. It was unlike anything, any challenge I've ever had. When somebody says, sky's the limit, dream, you go, what? I can... So where do you start? I don't, I don't know. Right. It's almost overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, it is overwhelming. I'm like, mm. I've seen what the excellence that you guys have done. How do I now create something even better? I, I don't know. How do I do that? And so that is overwhelming. How do you top people that are at the top of their game? Like, but you know what? It's an, it was an amazing opportunity to grow and to stretch and not just my creative muscles, but um, my marketing. Everything is done with precision. <laughs> like sometimes when you're on the road with a tour, you are like, let's just, whoa, we're making it up. Let's go. Let's build the plane and fly it. And yeah. Cirque is like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, no, yeah. we're not doing that. No, 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 no. <laughs> I actually have a, a blueprint and they're brilliant, smart people. And so it was intimidating and overwhelming and a huge honor to be able to actually work with them. And your role there, I mean, you were the, am I right here? You were the first and only African-American in the front office of the division. Mm-hmm. That's a true story. So it's yeah. just, I mean, it's just a feeling like, do you, do you ever feel like, you know, hey, I, I, I just want to do my job and I don't want to carry this weight of the responsibility. I don't want to be the expert on this. I don't want to have to be the leader in, in blazing a trail and, and changing things. Cause it's, it's, I, it's, it's a weight that, that Paul and I will never carry and never know. So is it, it some days it has to be just overwhelming. You know, Dave, that is such an interesting comment. I think the difference is having grown up in Canada and then moving to the U S it's night and day. It was a shock. It was a rude awakening. I remember, and I'll be vulnerable here. I remember when I first moved here to the U.S. and somebody said something to me, and and then it, it, of a racial nature, and it was derogatory, and it was ugly, and it was hurtful, and I went home and I cried. I cried for three days, on and off, and I called my mom and I said, "Mom, 
I can't change the color of my skin. Why are they judging me? I don't, I don't understand. I'm just as smart. I've done my job. I've done all these things. Why? Why are they? I don't understand, mom. Because growing up in Canada, that wasn't a thing, right? So for you saying, for, for you to ask the question, does it feel heavy? It didn't because I didn't really recognize at the time that I was the first and only uh, because we were treated equally. I had a seat yeah. at the table and I had a seat at the decision-making table. And that has always been my experience growing up. I didn't realize, uh, not to say that there isn't racism in Canada, absolutely, but it's just not as prevalent. It's not as much of a thing as it is here. Um, although things have changed, but at the time, it, I didn't recognize the, the um, implications of, of who I was within that organization. I was just part of a, an amazing organization. So front office was pretty monochromatic. Very much so, but it didn't seem to matter. Yeah. All of the performers came from around the world. So it was completely different, sure. but front office, definitely monochromatic. And so I, it's an interesting question. I didn't realize the impact of being the first and the only. I think it's just a different space. You had a, you know, a, 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 thank you for your open honesty there. I know that's, it's, it's always a tricky thing to talk about. And I, there, there's, so much more that defines you, but you've just been such a, a a leader in that in that space, and and that's why you were obviously were given the the impact award through EAMC, and we thank Suzanne for uh, uh, bringing you know uh, your your submission. Um, you know, there's somebody who's listening today, and they're a young person in this industry, and maybe they don't have a you know black employee alliance. Um, uh, or uh, those kind of resources because they're in a small town, they're in a small venue. Maybe they're you know just in that first role. Give me some 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 wisdom that you would share for them if they on the first steps of of kind of blazing that trail of of making making their career path a little bit easier. As a person of color, or as a young person coming in, any young person coming in. Well, any young person coming in, or specifically a person of color. Or somebody who's who's feeling like they they maybe aren't represented in the room that they're in. For me, I think it's just keeping your eye on the ball. What what's important to you? Make sure that you're doing your best for you. Um, some people may recognize it. Some people won't. I think that you also have to be clear with boundaries, and it's tough to say things when you're when you're new, and you're not quite sure, but you know that the space when you're in doesn't feel very good. You have a choice. You can leave or you can stay and fight it, particularly if this is a space that you want to be in. Yeah. Then you have to try to find other like minds. Um, reach out to your peers. Reach out if, wherever you are. It may not be, as you said, Paul, you're the only arena in the city. But find other organizations where you can get some support for you professionally, for you as an individual, and just keep doing your job, keep pressing forward, making sure that you're calling things out. Hey, that's not okay. And I, I like to say, having those crucial conversations. I think there are ways to have conversations as angering and as hurtful as sometimes behavior can be, and you're being overlooked and passed over for no other reason, even if you're qualified uh, because of the color of your skin. Have those crucial conversations. They're frightening, they're difficult, but they're necessary. I think that is what will be helpful 
sometimes people aren't aware of their bias. It's unconscious bias. It's not, it's not an excuse. But I think there are ways to have those conversations. It goes back to that, that statement of in Canada. I didn't think about it. I just kept my eye on, like, I knew what I wanted. I was hungry. I did my job. And so, because it wasn't an issue here. And I would say that coming to the U.S., I did the same thing. I did me. I was my authentic sure. self. Bring, I think Being maybe that's the key. Self, yeah. Bring your authentic self. And um, if people don't like you, well, then that's okay. Not everybody's going to like you anyway. It was a hard lesson to learn for so many of us um, uh, and easier for some of us than others, but uh, uh, such a, a, a key piece of it. Now, Kelly, we obviously touched on some tough topics today, and I appreciate your, your, your sharing today. But one thing before we wrap things up, uh, we, we mentioned her earlier today, uh, but I know you are so proud. Uh, you call her your best achievement, but let's give a little shout out to your 16-year-old Maya. Maya uh, Papaya. She, you said she's a she's a big she's a big uh, gymnastics person. She is. She's um, she's a competitive gymnast. She is creative. She's goofy. She um, she's an amazing. She's she's a company dancer and she was a cheerleader. Was because we just we uh, we can't do gymnastics, cheer, and dance. We realized because uh, our knees <laughs> don't just. I bet you spend a lot it. of time at gymnastics events. Mother of nature. I live there. <laughs> truly. I truly do. But you know what? It's such a joy to watch her. And she, I never, I never understood it, but, and I still don't understand it. I, I watch her and I'm so proud of her. And I find myself holding my breath for her. And, and I actually get really weepy every time she gets ready to go on the floor, the beam or the bars. And uh, I don't know why that is, but I'm just so super, super proud of her. And she's, she's making her way in the world. And um, it's interesting to watch. It's painful, but it's uh, sometimes because you're like, oh, I did all that. Oh, my God. I was that. Oh. But um, she is. She's a brilliant young lady. She's smart. She's caring. She's thoughtful, talented, all of the things. But she is my best, biggest achievement, I will say. Keeps me humble. She keeps me on my toes. Keeps me crazy. Kids will do that, right? They keep us on our toes. For yeah. sure. And she teaches me all the like the digital and stuff and things. So while I, I may look like I know what I'm doing, I actually have a 16 year old in the background going, oh, my God, why did you post that? <laughs> Don't ever do that again. It's good to have that because I have to do that. I'll run that by my kids. Is this is this is this cringe or is this fire? And then, yes. Oh, my a- God. She goes, Mom, it, that's she'll either use that's really cringy. Yeah. Or, Mom, you're making me uncomfy. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's very uncomfy. I guess that's a thing. That's great. Well, hey, Kelly, uh, before we let you go, we want to hit you with our fast five. It's five quick questions. Just looking for your, your instant uh, response here. First up, what was your very first concert? Hollow Notes with my mother <laughs> at 16, Wave Leaf Gardens in Toronto. How about your favorite concert? My favorite concert. You know, I'm not a huge concert goer, but I will say the Bare Naked Ladies at Verizon Center in Manchester, uh, New Hampshire. Unfreaking so good. Do it now. What's Canadian that love coming through. Yes, I'm telling you, best. Actually, it really was a fantastic concert. How about the last great book you read? Because we all have so much free time for reading. Well, I'm like, <laughs> or audiobooks we listen to? Um, that counts. That counts. That really counts. Totally Does counts. it? Gosh, that's a really great question. 
Or it could be the last bad book you read. <laughs> oh my God. Well, yeah, no, actually I have a bad habit with my, I, I am all I, like all of us were like squirrel shiny. If it doesn't catch my attention, then I'm like, I'm not finishing that. Ah, oh, friends. I don't know. I really How much does, you, have, you have a favorite book. I know why the cage bird sings by Maya Angelou. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Actually, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. How about your favorite vacation you've ever done? So <laughs> do you people take vacations? Really? Is Every that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> that I've heard tell of this thing. Um, I think probably best vacation was my honeymoon to uh scotland we went to england and scotland and we drove around actually yeah it was that or when i was backpacking through europe and i took that sort of gap year and i went all over the place and met phenomenal actually i will revise that those those are tied my honey went to scotland and england and which is it was and then we backpacked throughout europe and yeah it was cool last question for you what's your what's your theme song so there's the, the the Kelly show and they follow the cameras, follow you all around and uh, film your life. What's what's the theme song that plays over the opening credits? Bare Naked Ladies, If I Had a Million Dollars. There you go. I like, I like it. I like Kelly, it. if somebody uh, uh, wanted to reach out to you, uh, what's, what's the best place to find you? Or, or if they wanted to uh, learn more about the uh, Tempe Center for the Arts, uh, give, us all the, give us all the plugs. All the stuff. TempeCenterForTheArts.com, online, the World Wide Web. Um, on Instagram and Twitter at Tempe Arts and on Facebook at Tempe Center for the Arts. All right. Very cool. I appreciate you making the time for us today. It was a, it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed uh, meeting you a couple weeks ago in uh, Minneapolis. And, and I know Paul and I really enjoyed a chance to get to know you a little bit better today. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the time. And a big thanks to everybody for listening to Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star review so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.